be with them. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan. Her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters, her enemies prosper. Because the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From daughter Zion hath departed all her majesty. Her princes have become like stags that find no pasture. They fled 
reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God and my worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, God's prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to God's own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light for this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I am sure that that one is able to guard until that day that I have entrusted. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. Even 150 years after slavery was ruled 
destitute people unable to find work, reduced global transportation costs, weak or corrupt governments unable to protect their citizens, and immoral business practices have combined to form a perfect storm of human degradation. <clears throat> to give you a sense of this crisis, consider this economic figure. An average slave in the American South in 1850 cost the equivalent of $40,000 in today's money. Today, a slave costs an average of $90. Or, rather than calculate the cost of money, we can calculate the cost of little human lives. Recently, the Guardian newspaper of Britain published a report on a specific abuse of globalized wage slavery. The 2020 World Cup will be held in Doha, Qatar, and the events require the building of an infrastructure, stadiums and complexes, and thousands of Nepalese migrant laborers have been recruited for the task. However, they're being currently kept in such poor conditions that over this past summer in the burning heat of Qatar, they were averaging one fatality per day. At this rate, it's estimated that 4,000 people will die to finish this project. This may sound like a figure befitting the construction of the Egyptian pyramids in 2500 BC, rather than a soccer stadium in 2013-80. We may not want to think about it, yet there it is. Slavery and all of its dehumanizing brutality is still very real. As privileged American consumers in the global economy, our indirect benefit from slavery, past and present, raises potent questions about our Christian duty. We should comment carefully on these meanings of slavery, our discomfort with today's theme in the gospel, well warranted. So how do we engage this lesson sensitively in light of our context? Can this passage still hold meaning for us, a meaning that does not dull our awareness of the realities of slavery in our very own day? Or might a helpful and accurate interpretation of this passage simply be impossible? Or perhaps worse, might trivialize the plight of those suffering under the yoke of slavery by reducing this text to a simple metaphor and in the process take a pass on addressing the very real facts of slavery. We may not want to think about it, yet there it is. And because it is there in the gospel, we are invited by God to try to wrestle with it. So praying for God's grace, I invite you to try to understand Jesus' lesson with me. In my own reading of this gospel, I was struck by the connection between the first theme and the second. These passages come toward the end of a series of Pericotes in Luke, and it's a constant challenge to all interpreters to figure out whether or not one pericope is supposed to be read in the light of the previous one. So our lectionary selection for today has actually combined two of these separate pericopes that are related, though it may 
gospel begins with a rather odd demand from the disciples. Increase our faith. I struggle to even understand what that means. When I think of faith, I think of calm assurance that develops over time and a rising sense of comfort and trust. Faith is a bond that develops with God long over years and years and years. It's how God connects us, connects us to each other. So it struck me as odd that the disciples would ask for faith right now, as though Jesus had a, a pot of soup and he was going to ladle it out for them. But faith, in the Greek here, is physical. In the context of the New Testament, and especially in Luke, is also a kind of a power, a kind of a capability. In other passages in Luke, uh, Jesus' healing ministry, we hear the refrain from Jesus, Your faith has saved you. The faith that heals isn't as passive as we might think in our modern usage. It's much more active. Likewise, when Peter walks on water to join Jesus and he begins to sing, Jesus asks, Where is your faith? And even in today's reading from 2 Timothy, Paul mentions Timothy received the gift of faith from his grandmother and his mother, Eunice and Lois. So faith is this power that seems to be intimately related with doing great things. And even right here in the very passage, we see that the faith the size of a mustard seed is greater than that of a mulberry tree. But it is greater by way of spoken authority. The mustard seed of faith can tell the mulberry tree to throw itself in the sea, and the mulberry obeys. So the disciples, when they are asking for faith, are asking for authority, for the power to command and to change the world. And it is in this specific context that the next passage follows in which Jesus speaks of slavery. The reference to slavery seems to work in two ways. The first is pretty simple. Jesus put the disciples in their place. Faith, as power, cannot be laid out by mystical soup. And by asking for power, they demonstrate that they think that themselves to be worthy. Yet ironically, in asking for an increase in power, they demonstrate pretty clearly that they are not worthy. Jesus must remind them again that they are servants first and foremost, and they must get their priority right. God is the master. It's important not to take a pass on Jesus, be a little sharp at times, and this is one of them. <clears throat> Here a little bit of historical context for antiquity might be in ancient Greek and Roman slavery, the entirety of the slave's life, work, and status were set by the master. Right in 350 BC, Aristotle's politics hopefully frames this idea when he says, the slave is an animate tool of the master. Slavery in antiquity is inseparable from the notion of the master. The one who sets the work gives status and provides for the slave's well-being. In return, the slave simply does the master's will. 
and his or own, her own will had no social standing. This is even implied when Jesus says, Do you thank a slave for doing what was commanded? Such a statement shows us that the role of the slave is submission. And in a culture in which the value of individual autonomy was seldom articulated, the relationship of the slave and master was the most common social bond, except for familial relationships. So Jesus is drawing upon his cultural background and reminding the disciples to remember who's the boss. He essentially says, you want the power of faith? Remember your place. God is the master. You are the slave. However, this reference to slavery also functions in another way, a second way. So let's look at that line that I just said, and let's change the emphasis a little bit and ask the question a little more nicely. Do you want the power of faith? Well then, remember your place. God is the master, and you are the slave. In keeping with Jesus' subversive double meaning that's found throughout the Gospels, this passage functions not just as a refute, but also as an offer, an invitation, a map showing us the way. If we do indeed want the power of faith, we can recall that the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. All who exalt themselves shall be humbled, and all who humble themselves shall be exalted. Jesus' reference to slavery here is best read as a personal invitation to values that run contrary to expectation. We serve an absolute king to serve. In further defining expectations, our master does not speak in booming decrees, but in soft whispers that can only be heard in our slowest moments. Our master seldom lays out the whole plan, but usually provides the parts one at a time and lets us figure out the puzzle. Our master came not to conquer, but to love and die and give new life. So if you want the power of faith, and it is real power, then you will find that power by remembering your place. God is the master, and you are his living and breathing to you. The more you submit, the more wieldy you are. The more you renounce and give away, the lighter you are in God's hands. I don't know about you, but when I think about those 27 million people who live in slavery in our world, when I think about the legacy of slavery in America, racism, and cultural brokenness, I feel weak. I feel overwhelmed. I feel angry. And for all the right reasons, I want to stand up and say, Lord, increase my faith. Give me the power to fix this. Those who hold God's will above.
when we try to tackle it alone according to what we think must be done, we struggle and our faith falters. If we're going to do the work God has given us to do, we must submit and wait for orders. They will probably be whispered, but they will still be orders. The more we submit to those orders, the more we leave behind, the clearer our work will become, the more we will truly serve the Lord as God's instruments change. This was a lesson that St. Francis of Assisi did well, and this past Friday was his feast day. And I was struck by just that first line of his prayer. You know, the prayer of St. Francis, we pray just that first line. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. May that be our prayer today and every day. Bishop Sir. 
Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. I ask your prayers for Catherine, our presiding bishop, for Tom and Gail, our bishops, for Tony and Becky, our priests, and for Rob, Maureen, Judy, Jenny, and Spencer, our priest associates. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons.
Good morning, I'm Jennifer Newbold, Jordan Newbold, and um, we wanted to uh, remind you that the crop walk is on October 20th, that is two weeks away, and if um, Dave Sterling this morning uh, has fired you up to do something about the injustice in the world, we invite you to either pledge to sponsor a walker or to walk on October 20th, and if you are interested, look for me after the, um, after the service, I will uh, have this little badge on. You can look for other people with a little badge too. That means that they're walking, okay? Um, or you can look for Jordan. And uh, we hope to have uh, some participation. Thanks so much. Hymns. I'm here to talk about hymns. And my other favorite subject, hi. <laughs> Put the two of them together on October 20th for the annual pie party and hymn So if you like one or the other, please come and join us. Uh, bring a pie to share and bring your favorite hymns out of the hymnal 1982 or Wonder Loving Praise or from another source if you get it to me in time. So I have copies for everybody to sing. We'll sing whatever hymn you want to sing. Whatever hymn you want to sing. <laughs>